the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Water in the court. Be seated. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt. It's KLUP 930 AM, The Answer. Or you're watching on Facebook Live. Later, we'll be on YouTube and podcasts everywhere. Also, you can find our archived podcasts on www.talklawradio.com, so you can listen there as well. Today, we're going to be talking about police officer use of force, justified or not. And we welcome Daryl Harris, the chief of the Civil Rights Division, who is responsible to the district attorney in Bear County for the independent investigation, evaluation, grand jury presentation, and all resulting prosecutions of all officer-involved shootings, claim of excessive use of force, and in-custody deaths that occur within Bear County. Daryl, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. We're excited for this. <laughs> You're big time. Oh, uh, <laughs> too much pressure. Okay. Well, I'd like to start by um, asking you a little bit about your background. Uh, you can go back in time as far as you want, but okay. we just want the audience to get a, a sense of who you are. Okay. Um, I am what the native uh, Texans refer to as a dang Yankee from Cincinnati, Ohio, um, I've been told Yankees come in during Fiesta, get in the way in traffic, have a margarita or two, get in the way and then leave. And us dang Yankees, we come and we stay. So I've been that since uh, July of 22, oh, good Lord, July of 99. Okay. Uh, came here as uh, for a final assignment at uh, what was then Kelly Air Force Base inside the Air Intelligence Agency. Uh, retired June 1st, uh, took a month to zero escape my backyard, and then started law school at St. Mary's. Um, at the end of my first year, uh, walked into the district attorney's office as uh, probably the one of the oldest interns they had. They didn't know if I was a cop or an investigator <laughs> or whatever. Uh, I got jazzed uh, a little bit, walked, just walking into the building, and... Uh, Thankfully, uh, Susan Reed gave me a chance when I graduated in 04, and I've simply never left. Uh, D.A. LaHood saw fit to retain me, as has uh, uh, D.A. Gonzalez. And uh, in this administration, my duties kind of expanded. Uh, and then most recently with this current position, and uh, I thought, it thought long and hard. I'm kind of one of those uh, geeks. I'm old enough. I lived through uh, the, uh, oh, what was his name? Lived through the Rodney King incident oh. in California, uh, followed and tracked the OJ trial mm -hmm. uh, in Korea, uh, watched the events of Ferguson happen, piqued my interest as a, just as a citizen and civilians, so when the opportunity comes in to try to define how this uh, event happens in the city and town that we've made home, I uh, thought it was a great opportunity to contribute, and uh, 
thankfully the DA has entrusted me with it, and uh, I just hope I live up to it, to his expectations, and uh, to the city. Sounds like the the Lord had a path for you. Uh, you know, thank you for saying that. That's a good friend of mine, a retired Army chaplain, San Antonio native, Ed Manning. Uh, uh, we first linked up when we were overseas in Europe in, uh, in the 17th Field Artillery Brigade, one of the battalion commanders, another San Antonio native, uh, Colonel, oh, God, I forget, St. Mary's alum, Richard Valenzuela, ultimately a two-star uh, general. His daughter's a fourth court of appeals uh, justice, but I served in that command okay. uh, at the time uh, back in Europe and uh, met Manny, and he has long impressed on me that there are, is no such thing as coincidence. Things happen, and it's opportunity knocking, and do we have the purpose and the focus to recognize it? And so that seems to, I see those opportunities a lot, and I think about that. You know, what is this supposed to mean? Mm-hmm. And so the way you said that, thank you. Well, I have this prayer that I got from uh, Martin Luther. It goes, uh, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Please mm-hmm. show me now your ways. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the movie The Color Purple? I don't think so. Probably find it on YouTube, the, the, the Whoopi Golden version, but there is a gospel hymn just off of that. Oh, that okay. It's just so prominent. Speak, Lord. Speak to me. Right. And I think that's what we're what we're saying, I think we, I'm maybe probably, honestly, a back row Baptist, <laughs> but those are things that come in to see and speak those opportunities and how can we reflect it in what we all do. Uh, so I hope no matter what I do, that's also a part of it. Awesome. I got a question that I'll probably the, a lot of the listeners probably had the same one. Um, why would prosecution of an officer for unlawful use of force be a, a civil rights thing? When uh, we think of civil rights, we think of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, just having equal access. Uh, again, interesting question the way you asked it. Um, once... Uh, Joe made his decision, and we talked, and then the, fir- the, the very first thing he told me, look, that's just kind of generically what the topic is referred to, uh, but I am a Texas state prosecutor. The tools I have are the Texas Penal Code, the Texas Code of Criminal Procedure. No local DA under state law uh we don't go into federal court to pursue Section 1983 claims, which are the primary civil rights vehicles. Now, having said that, I can't think of or imagine a fact pattern where someone may have a 1983 civil rights claim that does not also suggest a violation of a penal law statute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually those, those are the infringement of your Fourth Amendment rights against unreasonable searches or seizures. Supreme Court, all authorities have held a detention, an arrest, a use of force, be it physical grabbing on or the ultimate use of force, deadly force, are, they infringe, they call the Fourth Amendment into question. So they're related. Okay. But my purposes are nuanced. We're looking simply to take the action. Of the, of the individuals, and we look at it, the officer's conduct, hold it up to the legal authorizations they've got to use force to do their job. Policy plays some role in this, and we try to make a determination if the use is in accordance with the justifications and defenses in Texas law. Occasionally, they may not be, and those can be indicted, can be indicted, and we leave it ultimately to the ultimate arbiter uh, in our system of justice, to the citizens and a pettit jury, to decide. That's the intent. Um, the other part, when I said 
just the name of it, civil rights. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that uh, we found, that the boss found when we was when we were deciding to take this path. Uh, Bear County, we were the largest municipality in the state to uh, latest to adopt this practice. It existed in Harris, Dallas County, Travis, okay, et cetera. Uh, and that's what we call it, and et cetera. Good. Thank you for that explanation. I think that makes more sense. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll ask you more about that after the break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. business owners and industry leaders seeking to elevate your brand and align with a highly targeted audience. Talk Law Radio invites you to partner with us in bringing in-depth interviews with expert guests, thought-provoking discussions, and practical advice on a variety of matters to the listening audience. Let us get your business name out into the community. Log on to TalkLawRadio.com to find out how you can become a sponsor. That's TalkLawRadio.com. 930 a.m. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Markport here with Daryl Harris, who is the chief prosecutor for uh, the Civil Rights Division in the Bear County District Attorney's Office. Uh, previous segment, he was telling me about his background, and uh, we went over uh, what the Civil Rights Division does, and we'll talk more in detail about that now. Uh, I want to start out with uh, an observation. Um, you're probably a little bit older than me. You've got a little more gray than I do, um, but you, you probably grew through the same time period watching a lot of superheroes on TV. <laughs> Right? Yes. Which one has been your favorite? Oh, God. Uh, Probably Iron Man from the date. Well, and this maybe precedes you, but I can remember when the animated cartoons were on regularly in the afternoon. So Iron Man, I'd have to say traditionally, um, there was... uh, another character the submariner oh really <laughs> yeah i didn't meet iron man until downing jr came out with it, the movie mm-hmm. and so yeah i was i was one of those kids and uh yeah and, it, and then you you you'd, you'd heard about in the comics about you know, the Black Panther, but I didn't really grow up with it. So, mm-hmm. so my guy was the Submariner and Iron Man. Okay. Mine was Batman. Yeah, yeah. And, and do, do you remember the Adam West original I, series? I started watching that before the Michael Keaton even came out. And Holy gaboos, Batman. Well, what I wanted to ask you is, uh, could Batman be prosecuted under these uh, civil rights violations for excessive use of force? Well, I would submit, uh, since he wasn't a law enforcement officer, he clearly could be prosecuted uh, for because he didn't have a right to possibly do that, which he's doing. Now, if you laid it out, and you, and I guess he'd be sitting there in his cowl and costume to not give away his identity, I don't know if anybody would have luck or success getting the jury to convict him. But take that analogy and you're starting to see a lot of those kind of fact patterns spring up nationwide with individual citizens with the right to carry reacting in situations. 
you you kind of see it. I know taking I, I, matters is into their own hands. Yeah. We, we we watch it and we talk about it amongst ourselves in the office and you can see it happen nationally and so yeah, I think that's as they get as they get looked at, I think yes. That by that comparison Batman well, the, could. The reason I would prosecute him as an officer is because Commissioner Gordon called him <laughs> with the bat signal, and so he was an agent okay. of the the office. And then, and, and under that context, then that could be something that would probably then fall in my purview. Right now, but in this area, um, I have a. We have a running dialogue, email, et cetera, with my counterparts in the major cities. Now, one of the things I would tell you out of uh, that, the, that our Dallas uh, colleagues say, and they've been doing this about a decade and a half, man, be leery if you, before you get into handling security guard issues as law enforcement. Not every private security guard is a certified peace officer. Right. And it's just... The the analysis and the authorizations to use force, is it truly covered? Yeah, it's, it, it's potentially a quagmire. Well, I remember learning in, in law school that uh, you could make a citizen arrest, mm-hmm. but you have to be correct. That there's no room for error mm-hmm. if you're a citizen. Along with our laws still support if a law enforcement officer empowers the citizen or deputizes one. Now, the converse is what happens when people are just trying to, from what they see, that limited perspective, trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But they may be factually wrong. Right. If you look at Chapter 9 of the Penal Code, there is an explicit section. Somebody acting under this perceived authority to act can't claim it if they mistakenly injure an innocent third party. So that just in and of itself tells me our laws contemplate this this conflict. We haven't had as much of a concern for it historically, but could be an unseen next wave coming. Um, well, my, my hypothesis in bringing all this up is, com- comes from a friend of mine who said, Um, When he was watching TV about the Uvalde shooting, Mm -hmm. there was an image of an officer in the hallway, had his phone out, and you could see on his phone was uh, an image of the Punisher. And so my friend and I were talking about, well, we all grew up Mm -hmm. with superhero Mm-hmm. mentality and of of course some of us would would grow to become officers mm-hmm. and we would take some of that perspective with us mm-hmm. and so they kind of uh some officers might feel like they're somewhat of a superhero and uh fighting the bad guys yeah it's that's a that's phenomenon and 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 people will want to make out of it sometimes maybe more than it is uh, as, as a correlation over my time in service. Uh, I was initially commissioned still wearing the old OD green fatigues mm-hmm. and then they moved into the BDUs. And then you notice you started to get a group of recruits consistently that are coming in now with body, with tattoos and body ink. Well, today, law enforcement agencies had to worry about it. For a while, you couldn't have it. And then just because the tide has changed, law enforcement agencies had to adapt. Now you've got in the military, they wear the unicolor sleeve uh, over it. So you have to adapt. I think in general, now we're advocates. And so the law also allows that, you know, you can take photographs of a defendant if there are known gang symbols or gang tattoos, and that can be used in the right way to give uh, perspective or clarity to evidence or testimony. But at the same time, you don't want to make too much out of it because it's so ubiquitous in 
the culture and the country. Um, mm-hmm. Some people see a certain action or reaction, and we've got the Punisher tattoo, therefore right. that's in your mindset. I don't ever believe that that's dispositive of any one thing. Okay. It can be um, a flavoring. Uh, there's a case with a particular tattoo, and an individual has a military background. Well, to be perfectly honest, what it means is if you aren't ready, you die. Mm-hmm. In that previous environment, that's accurate. Right. So I don't. I don't know. So I don't know. It's just. It's. It's not dispositive. That's hopefully our uh, our analysis, our investigation, our ultimate decision making come out to have a, a bit more of a found fun, fundamental basis than just body art. Right. On the other hand. It's still there, and if the weight of evidence goes a certain way, then somebody has to explain it. So, double-edged sword. Yeah, let, let me go back to Batman, the Adam <laughs> Adam West version. Uh, you'll remember uh, Batman uh, facing off against the uh, the criminal enterprise, mm-hmm. and immediately it it's goes to blows. Mm-hmm. Pow, zap, <laughs> zing. Yes. That that's really not allowed, right? Um, an officer by law, if he's determined, if he determines he has probable cause to make an arrest, has the authority to use force to make that arrest. Now, quite often, that force is expressed or manifest by grabbing an individual, trying to put cuffs on him. Uh, the individual may stiffen up passive resistance sometimes if it goes active um so yes and then we look at what causes it and and this is the other part that needs to be understood and law enforcement doesn't intend to have what the lay citizen may consider to be a fair fight if you have to use it use it quickly and bring it to an end so you can regain control Mm mm-hmm Sounds harsh, but you can't really have the alternative. Um, so, yeah, if Batman thought that the Joker and his henchmen were reasonably about to use unlawful force against them, they can respond with force in their own. Okay, we've got a caller. David, you're live on the air. What's your question? Oh, thanks, Todd. Uh, yeah, and your guest. I, uh, I just, the old phrase "shoot first, ask questions later" shows up in in some of the uh, the discussion of this. And I remember that uh, city of Chicago. I think they were buried in lawsuits. Uh, they had to pay, I think, an average of sixty million dollars a year in in uh, police abuse uh, uh, lawsuits. So the taxpayers were paying for bad cops. And apparently the average cop in Chicago pulls out his gun, doesn't use it, but pulls out his gun once every 27 years. So uh, apparently it's a very small number of bad cops that are causing the $60 million in lawsuits. And uh, again, that expression, uh, shoot first, ask questions later, comes up in this whether or not uh, you got a bunch of paranoids uh, who are given a gun or whether or not they, uh, they're bigots with a gun. Well, is, is that a myth, Daryl? Shoot first, ask questions later? It's an anecdote, and I think if you see that, I can't, I can't imagine any jurisdiction where that would not be a potential violation of state law. Uh, here in Texas, as a general rule for any citizen, the only justification to use deadly force is to counteract somebody else's use or threatened use of apparent deadly force. And that becomes something that's a, uh, that ultimately a trier of fact has to decide. Um, but you can't just use it without it being reasonable. Uh-huh. So police officers are citizens of the state. They have those uh, defenses or justifications 
available to them, along with if they're acting in their authority and then the ability or the right to use force to effect an arrest. Notice I dropped search out of that. Okay. Deadly force to effect an arrest where you may be attempting to execute an arrest warrant for a violent crime that involves the use of deadly force. Mm -hmm. And we'll obviously continue Mm -hmm. this after the break. Yes, thank you. Um, Thank you, David, for calling. Thank you for the the question and the topic. Uh, We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll continue talking about when force is justified. So stay tuned. Back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with uh, Assistant District Attorney, Chief of uh, Civil Rights Division, Daryl Harris. We've been talking about uh, the civil rights uh, violations that occur when an officer uh, exceeds his justified use of force. Um, but I want to talk about the the Sinners and Saints segment first. I could only think of a sinner this week. I, I don't have a saint to talk about. I apologize for that. But I wanted to let you know I, I read in uh, from Ian Leonard from Fox News about someone named Lucy Letby, who was a nurse in the United Kingdom. She had been found guilty of murdering seven babies at a hospital neonatal unit. And there was a You might remember uh, some years ago here in San Antonio, there was a a nurse accused of the same type of thing, and there's a a book about it. Um, Anyway, I I like to have a sinner and a saint um, because uh, Martin Luther said that uh, each of us is both a sinner and a saint at the same time. The saints are sinners too, but they are forgiven and absolved. So uh, during the break, you said uh, to talk about law and gospel at the same time um, would be sort of difficult. But I think that's how, that's how at least how my pastor is always talking about it. Here's, here's what the Old Testament said, and, and here's how Jesus resolved that. Yeah. Yeah, I – no, I, I share that belief, and I'm always – I quickly upon around the office – there is no problem so annoying or complex that adding more lawyers won't make worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to, to go back and finish up the answer to the to, 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 to the question, so the statutory law authorizes the use of deadly force when and if the officer is presented with deadly force, be it to himself or in others for the purpose of effecting an arrest. What the public may not always appreciate is what the officer knew about the situation before the point of the decision to use the force is. Mm-hmm. Is he trying to execute a warrant? Is there a has you traffic stop revealed a warrant for it, a particular type of charge? Does that put him on notice of such that any reaction may lead to something else. Um, Along with that, if that decision is made, if that's reasonable, then also by statutory law, there is no duty to retreat before using force or deadly, or rather deadly force, excuse me. Um, And so that's how we govern the analysis. But the... um, shoot first, ask question later, that nature, that characterization, if you just see that, and the, and the most typical scenario you see it is individuals fleeing, running away, and it becomes a very fact 
specific analysis, uh-huh. but it's governed by that statutory uh, statutory law. And I hope I completely address the the caller's question. Um, I think so. I, I got a text message from one of my listeners uh, about this topic, and and she said, "Aren't aren't the police?" sort of in a, a similar situation that uh, a member of the military would be in. Uh, when you enter uh, a situation of conflict, there's a, there's a heightened sense of um, danger. Mm-hmm. And so how, how can you be called upon to use all of your reasonable faculties when really the, the ancient part of our brain is, is designed to, to fight or flight? Um, yeah, I, I understand uh, the the intent and the premise behind the question, and therein lies the challenge. Um, sometimes there's an expression you, that the, re, the listeners may have heard, looks awful, but it's lawful. Now, I'm not trying to hide behind it. Um, the analysis we have to bring applies what we've said before, and there may be calls and instances. Conversely, uh, we are seeing, again, across the country, a number of examples where the ultimate triers of fact, the citizens, have deemed unreasonable and therefore unlawful. Okay. Um, And so it's possible to do both. Um, Again, a, a, a nugget learned from talking to my colleagues in Harris and Travis and Houston, nine out of ten of these are generally what we believe they are. But in that one percent, you will find fact patterns that call, that call several questions and issues uh, in the question. There's uh, an article I read uh, on a 2019 uh, incident out of Midland, uh, uh, Texas, uh, well-off homeowner, oil tycoon, uh, the alarm to his home went on the Blitz. Uh-huh. Midland police came. They patrolled the area, opened the front door. Midland police call out. Homeowner was in the depths of his home, claimed he didn't hear it. He shot from inside the home, hit and struck an officer who ultimately died. And that DA took it to trial in, in, in that DA's opinion she wasn't convinced that the homeowner's use of deadly force was immediately necessary based on what he heard or perceived or uh-huh. feared. And a Midland jury found him not guilty. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's uh, what drew my attention. The title of the article is, You Can Stand Your Ground in Texas Even If You Kill a Cop. Wow. Um, now. Got to be careful. That's Midland. Um don't know how that standard may apply across the state, but it's there. That's a sacred value in your home. Your Fourth Amendment protections and liberties are at their highest in your home. So you can see that inherent conflict. Yeah, but it probably all goes to the reasonableness. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. And, and that so, p- so how many cases come to you every year? I mean, it doesn't sound like it would be a lot. Uh, well, let's see. When we started, I inher- historically the office uh, handled these things through our white-collar public integrity uh, division. Uh, so I took the – in 20 – when we actually got up and running in January of 21, uh, I took about – 50% of the open officer-involved shootings, and then going forward, uh, the new anything new came to me. Uh, so I've got a docket of about 100 cases across all three genres, custodial deaths, excessive use of force. Uh, in, in a backlog, we have seven cases indicted, um, three involved shootings. Most of them are excessive uses of force in executing uh, an arrest. Um, there was a, 
officer-involved shooting this morning. <laughs> it, uh, so it doesn't – an officer-involved shooting doesn't necessarily have to result in, in a death. No. It, we, it would still – could still be prosecuted. We, we – the, the major agencies, BCSO, SAPD, uh, they give us a call uh, when it happens, once the scene is secure. Uh, we go and we start to evaluate things as they're finding it out. Uh, and then when they complete their own internal investigations of it, they send them through my section. Uh, based on having seen uh, the initial layout, the initial understanding, we have a barometer to gauge. Does this appear to be complete with what we know? Is it what we expect? Uh, we will reach out to the family of the, or the citizen himself, there's not a death, or the family of a citizen. Uh, the legislature finally uh, cemented this past session a law that says the family of a citizen has the right to see medical reports, video instance, just so they can know what has happened mm -hmm. to their loved one. Now, we've done that. We were doing that as a policy before uh, the statute came out, but we were happy to see it. I think it's an essential part of communicating what happened. And then we make our analysis and uh, pass the recommendation on to the elected, take that and present it to a grand jury uh, with a recommendation and live with the result. And uh, we try and intend to write a memorandum of law if something gets no build, explaining the analysis in the law, and then that's all we'll speak I on. saw some of that on the website. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's... Uh, Keeping up with it is always the challenge. Right, because the public gets interested in those yes, high-profile things. Yes, sir. Okay, well, we've got to take one more break. When we come back, we'll be talking about legacy and continuing the conversation uh, about civil rights. So stay tuned. Discover the fascinating world of the law with Talk Law Radio. Listen to 9.30 a.m. The Answer every Saturday morning at 11 for insightful discussions and expert analysis. Then, don't miss out on a thrilling bonus segment every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. when Talk Law Radio's attorney, Todd Marquardt, offers his professional perspective on trending legal issues. Stay informed and engaged with the legal matters that shape our nation. Join Talk Law Radio for an enriching radio experience on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And for more info, go to TalkLawRadio.com. 9.30 a.m. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with uh, Chief Prosecutor of the Civil Rights Division of the Bear County uh, uh, District Attorney's Office, and we've been talking about officer-involved shootings, um, uh, custodial deaths. We haven't gotten there yet. Um, what it what were we talking about when we went to break? Um, we had just finished uh, that story about the Midland prosecution. Right, okay. And, and so let, let's uh, address briefly what uh, custodial death is. Custodial deaths, uh, it's the generic title we use if there's actually a death out in the field. The person was not free to go law enforcement, so they are technically legally in custody, and we have a death. And it also encompasses someone's in the county jail. They ultimately succumb to terminal cancer. Oh, okay. You have to investigate that. It's In a lot of ways, it's a paperwork drill, if the ME can say exactly what caused it. On the other hand, sometimes there may be bruises, injuries. Is this the result of mistreat maltreatment mm -hmm. on the hands of deputies who are also law enforcement officers so it encompasses the gamut uh, a lot of that requirement came as an offshoot of the Sandra Bland Act uh, that a separate agency has to actually do the investigation and forward it to us but we do get 
those as part of our mandate and mission as well. So that that incident with George Floyd in, in Minnesota, be, mm-hmm. because he was not free to go, that would be a, a cus- in, death in custody? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. That would be an in-custody death, and the only distinction would be based on excessive use of force instead of a shooting. Right. Okay. And is there anything that we that you haven't said yet that you want the public to know about your office or this this is somewhat of a controversial issue in in the media these days? Is there anything that you want the public to know when when they're encountering police or that you want police to know when they're encountering the public? This is your time for your soapbox. <laughs> Follow along with um, the previous caller's question, that shoot first mentality, as well as the public's get your hackles up first and egg on if both sides can kind of take a breath. Um, there's a, an author, Flynn, there's a gentleman, he's got the distinction, he's been the chief of police at the NYPD, Boston PD, LAPD. Uh, he wrote a late, wrote most recent book talking about this distance between law enforcement and the communities they try to protect. And he said, the problem cannot be solved without us. And I absolutely 100% agree with that. Conversely, I've also seen we have soldiers returning from combat deployments that have to do merb, um, urban warfare that bring back tactics and philosophies they developed over there in combat to ha- to use here to the good, and they're the most reasonable approaches. Uh, 60 Minutes did a story on a okay. program in Boston. So law enforcement has to understand the citizens here aren't the enemy. They're the community right. that you're there to protect and serve. And if we can move from that um, presence on both sides and at the same time recognize emotions are initially high when things happen, the system begs for, clamors for openness, resolve, set a course, follow it diligently, be open and honest on the results, and it ultimately tends to work out. The There was an incident in this city with SAPD, a hostage barricaded subject situation, officers trying to bring it to a close. Um, I know the information they had when they took the, the shots. Um, Unfortunately, no one knew that the the complainant they were trying to protect, when the suspect walked outside, raised his weapon at officers, she was trying to shut the door behind him, apparently. And so when they fired on him, it went through the wall and got her. Oh. But what I noticed is the department came forward and acknowledged it up front. And there were no protests. There was understanding and remorse. So I think that's a path right. forward for all of us. Well, when I was a child, which wasn't doesn't seem like that long ago, I remember if if I saw an officer in uniform mm-hmm. in the restaurant, I I wanted to go up to him mm-hmm. and say hello and shake his hand, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know whether that happens anymore. Occasionally, um, one of the things that happened over 2019 before I started in this, uh, my office participated in uh, some town hall meetings over on the east side. Uh, happened to meet a young man, I forget his first name, he now opens a restaurant, um, Homeboy Barbecues. But he was convening it to bring citizens in the community and law enforcement officers to talk, just to open up what happens inside that building. And even then, one of the, I remember one of the participants said, look, I want my nephews here to consider being officers in this community. We got to keep sawing at this. We got to, because it can't be solved without them. They're part of us. We are part of them. That has to. So one thing I got from being in a public service job for twenty years, it, it, that's the only path forward. And one of my listeners uh, commented that if. Officers are on high alert all the time that not only do they have to worry about criminal suspects, but they have to worry about whether they're going to get in trouble 
or even prosecuted, are we going to get the best and brightest candidates to do that job if if they're just not willing to take that yeah. risk? Yeah, I, I hear that. I understand it. I I can only, my only response would be individuals that feel that way also want to be equally protected and respected when they encounter right law enforcement. So that's just giving way to fear. Um, nine out of every ten are what we think they are, and those that kind of aren't. There's generally universal agreement that <laughs> something went wrong. Right. In the hiring process, maybe. Yeah, that was also pointed out by uh, Mr. Flynn's book, that if you really wanted to elevate the standards, you know, there's an expression in the technology. Input equals output. Right. Okay. So another observation I had was about, um, uh, I I was looking through the Bible trying to find a way to to see what what Jesus would say about this. And I found in Matthew chapter 26, verse 55, says, At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, this is when they came to arrest him, (laughs) Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. And and so I zeroed in on mm-hmm. um, their their apparent use of force, um, bringing that to the the encounter initially instead of you know uh, not having their their weapons drawn. Great quote. Great quote. Um, yeah, and that then bespeaks something. Um, Interestingly, there's a section out of uh, 904 out of uh, the justification defense that drawing a, merely showing the intent to use deadly force if necessary by presenting a weapon is not considered to be deadly force. Now, that's the black letter uh-huh. <laughs> of the law. But uh, as Jesus himself said, you see me in the temple every day. Why do you think that's necessary? Well, he was he was innocent. We mm-hmm. know that by by reading about him after mm-hmm. the fact. Um, but many times, a, an officer's coming to the scene because somebody called mm-hmm. and said somebody's up to no good. Typically, Officer Marqua comes to me, Mr. Harris. I'm Officer Marquardt. I have a warrant for your arrest. Now, my first reaction is going to be, huh, what? To the degree, and if you actually have one, to the degree, then my reactions could dictate, well, you, and maybe you unsnap the holster. <laughs> maybe you actually pull it out. Sir, I understand. I don't know. I simply have the warrant. My job is to take you into the court. And you can watch these things build. The officer is on shore footing if he's acting on a warrant and an arrest. If it's chance encounter and then one thing goes to another, the analysis gets very, very complicated. Well, we better leave it at that so I can ask you about your legacy. Yes, sir. This is the, the fourth segment, so we like to talk about our legacy. And now, it's time for the Talk Law Radio Legacy Spotlight. What's your legacy? Sponsored by Marquardt Law Firm. Okay, so you can talk about any part of your legacy you want to, or maybe something you learned from those who have gone before you. How do you want to be remembered? Um, hopefully, they merge together. Um, professionally... Within the office, I've been walking those hallways for about 20 years. Um, And as you get to this stage and you start thinking about life after, I came across a a speech given by 
Robert Jackson about federal prosecutors. It kind of sums up what I would like to be thought of, I hope I represent. Okay. The qualities of a good prosecutor are as elusive as, and as impossible to define as those which mark a gentleman. Those who need to be told what they are, they wouldn't understand it anyway. A sensitiveness to fair play and sportsmanship is perhaps the best protection against an abuse of power. And the citizen's safety lies in the prosecutor who tempers zeal with human kindness, who seeks truth and not victims, who serves the law and not functional purposes, who approaches his task with humility. I hope I bring a sense of that to how I've conducted the job and comported myself uh, as long as I've been in the office. The other part is the foundation that was laid in my formative years at the, at the academy. I hope I apply that. Um, you, you can say more. We have uh, okay. 40 seconds. The sentence out of the cadet prayer uh, just ultimately in, encourage us in our endeavors to live among the common level of life. Make us choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong and never be content with a half-truth when the whole can be won. A prosecutor, somebody who has my position, who isn't introspective, who isn't measuring his decisions in that likeness, does a disservice. Um, had the chance to meet Michael Morton, and I've been thinking about that, and that's what I hope to bring to this specific application professionally. And then, by God, if I'm not living that in my personal life to my sons, then I've truly failed. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.